Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition of The Curious Capitalist, I'm joined by Lee Keylock. Lee is the Director of Global Programs at Narrative 4. N4 is a global network of educators, students and artists that use art and storytelling to build empathy between young people while equipping them to improve their communities and the world. Lee is a Brit like myself, so forgive us. Uh, He's also a self-confessed Spurs fan. That's Tottenham Hotspur for anybody who didn't know. Lee, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you, Claire. Happy to be here. And by the way, Spurs is playing in about an hour, so I'm glad that this podcast will be done by then so I can watch the game. <laughs> Look, I, I understand. I sympathise. We'll get it wrapped up in an hour so you get the pre-match build-up, I promise. Perfect. Uh, okie dokie. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career. How did you end up here? How did you end up hooked up to N4 and the work that you're doing there? How did you get to this point in your career? Wow, that's a, that's an epic question to answer. The um, I mean, I came to the US when I was, you know, I was 18. It was about three months before my 19th birthday i was just bumming around i was just backpacking around i'd done a couple of years just going around europe backpacking and then you know sort of flipped a coin and came to the u.s the u.s won over australia so i wow. ended up here yeah <laughs> don't um, tell my father-in-law who's an aussie by the way <laughs> uh-oh don't, don't, you can edit that part out um yeah so honestly no no fixed agenda at the time just just came here was interested in traveling around the u.s did a fair bit of that um ended up in new york i lived in queens first of all before moving into the city and you know it was only after doing a series of you know various jobs working in bars worked in a nightclub for a few years did various things that i actually got into teaching i went back to college i never went to college in england and at around 24 i suddenly thought you know it might be good to learn learn some stuff so, so I did. I went back to college and, and I got a teaching degree and I started teaching. My first teaching gig, anyone who knows me or anything about my story knows that I worked in, in Newtown in uh, the high school for about 13 years as, a, as an English teacher. So I'm the real deal, Claire. English, English teacher. Wow, an English, yeah. English teacher. Yeah. And um, I loved it. I mean, to be honest, I, I sort of, it was almost like when I started wanting to teach, I had no interest sort of going into schools. I mean, you probably remember the British school system. It's a, it's a Pink Floyd album, right? It's like just stand there, get lectured at. And I, I actually hated school. I left at 16. And when I came here, I just took a couple of classes at college just for, for giggles. And there was this one teacher that was amazing. This woman, uh, Martha Lipson, her name was. And she taught this course on literature of the Vietnam War. And I just remember she brought all these characters into the class. You know, they were like vet of war, pro-war, anti-war people, like all of this. And I was like, wow, you're allowed to do that in class? And I just, it just really turned me on to the idea of teaching with passion. And so that's, that's what I did. And, and then of course, you know, you fast forward uh, a few years, you can't, can't mention the word Newtown, right? Without, um, or Sandy Hook, which is where the high school is, um, Mm. without thinking about the, the murders in, in our town. So, um, you know, and that was, you know, almost it's going to be eight years in December since that happened. And really, to be honest, that was, you know, there are moments in your life, right, that, uh, that are a catalyst for change for something. And um, and I stuck around for another year or so after that, after the um, 
after the murders and just thought more intentionally about how how to create an impact and and really foster empathy between people that didn't exist so that you could perhaps reach people and connect with people before they commit a heinous act. I mean, this is all in hindsight, of course, at the time yeah, we were just course. dealing with it, you know? So I don't know, that's a, it's sort of a, it was the catalyst for change. Um, that's how I actually got involved with Narrative 4, who was, at the time, they were just a, a sort of organization that was in the mind. I mean, they, they had done a little bit of work. It was really just two people at the time, uh, Lisa Consiglio, who's the founder, and Colin McCann, who's an artist, right? He's an author. Mm -hmm. He was the, the co-founder, and I met Colin. I'd reached out to him after the, the slaughters in, in Sandy Hook, and I met him. I was interested in actually teaching his novel, um, mm -hmm. which was called Let the Great World Spin. And I bought, uh, I just, I actually wrote to it. I didn't even know who Colin was, but somebody had given me that book and I just thought that book could help my students heal. I was teaching mostly sophomores and juniors at the time. And that particular book just, I don't know, it spoke to me. It was something about sort of hard fought hope in that book that didn't seem cliche. And I just felt like my kids, none of the regular curriculum would work anymore. There was a book that came out years ago called Read Aside. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's about how we destroy reading in schools for kids. And and they're right, you know, so many of the texts are so, so damn tragic and, you know, the kids can't connect with them sometimes. Yeah, they're 100 years. And I'm not saying these Shakespearean texts and, you know, some of these iconic texts, The Great Gatsby, I'm not saying they're not great books. I love them. But at the same time, you're trying to reach a contemporary audience, right, of kids. They're a bit heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're heavy. They're distant and very, um, not to boil it down, but the, the canon of literature is very white too, right? It's, a, yeah. it's sort of these white male heavy authors. And how do you teach some of those texts to um, kids of color if they're not? if they don't see themselves in some of the characters anyway so i wrote to colin to colin's publisher and just said can i get some free books and that's how the whole relationship started because colin um wrote me a few days later and gave me the books um and i used them in class and actually he came to newtown to visit in april which was about you know it was about three or four months after the um the the sandy hook murders so that's sort of how i met him and then he told me about narrative for this idea and i just thought it would be interesting to get my kids to share stories so that's a really long-winded i don't know that's a bit no it's but. fascinating it's absolutely fascinating and then obviously your work with n4 you, you're still working with 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 Colum now oh, yeah, uh, yeah. and working on a on a variety of things what do, what do you wish that you'd known before you sort of started out on this career path um i think i don't know there's so many things but i just the thing that i find the most compelling is that we or the thing that's most important is you've got to learn how to listen to people and be open and be curious um, and also be humble. They're the sort of the tenets that I've learned in the last few years. And I don't know how good, I don't think I was a good listener. I was, I thought I was a good teacher. I mean, a lot of my kids, you know, still stay in touch with me from school and that, and they all say, oh, I loved your class, all of those things. And I, I tried to make it relevant to their lives. We had a lot of conversations in our class, but I still don't know how good I was at just listening and sitting with what I heard, you know, we have this compulsion as humans, I think, to try and fix stuff and, Absolutely. You know, and help people and offer, offer some sort of remedy or whatever, right? And that's the human compulsion is to be kind and do that. But sometimes that's not what you need when you're trying to tell a story and you, you just need an audience to make, to be heard. 
Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I've learned in the last few years, be a better listener. And it takes practice, you know. My mum always used to say to me, uh, you've got two ears and one mouth. Why don't you use them in that ratio? Uh, which was always a good one. I hated hearing it as a kid. Um, I'm not sure I ever really listened to it. but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, she's right. She's absolutely right. You got to, we, have to, we have to learn. I think Obama years ago, he, I remember him saying something about there being an empty deficit. And one of the things was that we had to dethrone ourselves from the center of our worlds. Right. Mm. And that's just, that phrase stuck out to me. Um, and I kind of live by that. Like just take yourself off your own pedestal and put somebody else there for a minute. You know? mm, yeah. The world doesn't revolve around us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you've kind of ended up in the right role in the right industry at the right time to be able to help those people as well. You know, I certainly know from my personal experience that I had a, an experience, if you like, when I was younger, where a teacher of mine was pivotal in changing my entire outlook on life. When I grew up in a, an environment where it was expected that I would get a job locally, whether that be in an office or in a supermarket, I would get married, I would have babies and I would live and die in that same town. You know, <laughs> that was the expectation in many ways. And very few ever had the foresight, I guess, to see that there was a big wide world out there. And that's what my teacher did for me. So I think when thinking about Sandy Hook and, and the terrible atrocity, having Having good, well-rounded educators around those children must have been um, a very, very difficult on you. But what a great asset to the school and to the and to the kids for sure. Yeah, and that's you can multiply that by many because there are so many good teachers. There still are so many good teachers in those school, in that school system, and they're still struggling with it today. Yeah. We all are, and they're just you know. And I think honesty is really important to to show yourself as vulnerable and real and and hurting and and broken right at the same time mm. alongside your kids is really important for them to see people in positions or mentors or whatever you want to call them like in positions of power right they want you want to see them as human as well and i think Newtown staff, I, I got to give them a shout out. They're, they're amazing. We were a collective group and we were healing ourselves at the same time. So we were muddling through it, you know? Mm, absolutely. So. Thinking about narrative four, what does it mean to you that your company has a higher purpose, if you like? Thinking about conscious capitalism, uh, particularly obviously here in Connecticut chapter, you know, businesses having a higher purpose and seeking to do some kind of greater good. Tell me a little bit how you see that fitting into the narrative four framework. I think, you know, I don't, I'm going to be brutally honest. I don't know. I know a little bit about conscious capitalism. I don't know massive amounts, but I think you also, you need money to do good works. It can't just, you know, otherwise you just, it's all voluntary and it's, and it's running around and trying to do as many things with as few resources as you can. So I just think that you need resources, right? Human resources, fiduciary resources to do that. And I think you can be conscious around that. Like how do you, for example, in our organization, we're sort of in that realm right now of how we've we're not really a startup anymore because we're eight years old as a not-for-profit organization we're, we're sort of thinking about how do we scale up how do we give more kids and more communities opportunities to share stories share their truth share their realities and and teach those skills right of empathy leadership whatever that entails mm -hmm. and how do you do that without 
raising money and funds around it. How do you get into more schools and, and scale up? You need help. So I think that, uh, first of all, I'm too old to work for anything or any place that I have no interest in that, that has some <laughs> you know, notion of good outside of making a salary, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be some greater purpose. That's for me personally. And I think anybody that is drawn to narrative for share the same values, right? We are empathic people. We care about risk taking. We care about being perpetual students. We care about other people. We care about the nuance of people's stories. You know, we don't just fit into a mold and anyone who's drawn to us or works with us has the same passion for those things. And and also you need incredible funding around that too, right? Mm. Funders that share sort of similar values. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question fully, but I think you, you got to have a fingerprint and our fingerprint is, look, we want people to empathize with one another. We want to build bridges and we want to foster empathy to the point where somebody might get interested in another person or community and want to help and make change with mm. that in a collaborative sense. And that to me is no greater worth than that, you know? No, absolutely. With your work at N4, how would you describe the culture of the organization at Narrative 4? What words, what language would you use to describe it? Well, I mean, I think passion is the first word that comes to mind. They're the most passionate bunch of people that I've ever met. We're only a staff of nine full-time people right now. Mm-hmm. And we've had an incredible trajectory. And, and one of the things we've always said is it's not even about hiring well. It's actually people are drawn to our mission. And mm-hmm. so the passion is already there. I always say you can't buy passion. You can't pay for that. You know, like that's just got to be there. So there's just an immense passion and openness and drive to and a giving. There's no ego involved. So I think we've created a culture where it's sort of egoless, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is unusual in a culture, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of students work with us. We have a lot of authors. We have a lot of artists, you know, like Colin McCann, right? Ishmael Bay, you got Sting. You have Terry Tempest Williams, who's an incredible environmentalist. Her, her work is phenomenal. And their voice, it's horizontal. Their voice is just as important or less so at times than the student voice because we put students in positions of power we you know there's a there's no tears there's just everyone has a voice and we listen to all of those voices collectively it, it's kind of utopian in the sense that our funders the workers the the volunteers we have we have so many amazing teachers educators and community workers around the world that that do this because they just feel passionate about it. They don't even care about the, the money. The money is irrelevant, you know? Mm. If you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change happen, what would it be? Oof. Um, you know, I just wish, I think one of the things that, that this pandemic has taught me, we were talking earlier before the podcast about, you know, like this sort of re reevaluation or re- we can hit restart on some of the values that were actually primary, right? The primary needs, which is family, community, um, safety, things like that in, in your home. And I just, as an organization, I wish we had more, we're a small staff and we're global. So we're all over the place and just the time to be together, like in a physical sense, I mean, like in the same space would be amazing if I could snap my fingers and we could just be teleported to all be together for a day or two working that would be amazing because I think the conversations that you have that aren't scripted around the water cooler or the or the <laughs> pub, you know, if you go down the pub after work, it's those conversations is where a lot of the ingenuity and creativity happens. It's not massively, massively. Yeah, it's I not agree. the eight-hour workday where that happens. You know, you mentioned sort of the global nature of N4's work. Um, which countries are you in, and what would you say has been your greatest success whilst being with the company? 
Well, we're in a bunch of countries. I mean, just to name a few, we're in South Africa, we're in the Middle East, we're in Ireland, we're in Mexico, you know, Colombia, you name it. There's a there's a bunch and on our website, you can check them out. And obviously we're in loads of states across the US. So the global nature of it is just the one thing that just rings to me like a bell each time is that it doesn't matter where you are in the world or who you're talking to, we are much more similar <laughs> than we are different. Mm. So all these narratives that try and divide people are just crazy to me. Like, because most people just want good food, good laughter, you know, community, you know, and they just want to have fun, right? They don't, mm. they don't worry about the other stuff all the time. So that's just world over. So that gives me a lot of hope. But my greatest, you, you're asking me what my own sort of greatest accomplishment is? Or? Well, your greatest success, success, whether it be professionally or personally, or both. Let's be greedy. Let's have both. um well i think professionally i think because we i just think that the the sort of meteoric rise we've had as an organization in seven seven and a half years is phenomenal and that is because we are an organization that values story right your story matters your life matters your voice matters your actions matter and so many times they get corrupted by other things or people in power and when you just bring people into a space and they get to tell their own personal story their own truth all of those stereotypes and preconceived you know, come crashing down right so i think mm-hmm. our greatest accomplishment is that we have expanded rapidly because there is this deep need this primary need just to connect with other human beings and, and hear one another's stories it's like a it's a currency right mm-hmm. the most democratic currency you can have i think in that respect when i left teaching when i left newtown I had no safety net, right? I left and I was starting with an organization. It was just three of us, me, Lisa, and Colin. We went for it. I lost all my benefits. I lost all the stuff that, or I, I you know, all of the stuff that you put into that, that creates safety, yep. like retirement for school, for teachers, and there was a risk involved. So I just, my greatest accomplishment is that N4, Narrative 4, is global, it's growing, it's being run by students, by educators, and it's just exponential growth. So that tells me that, the right move was made and there's a need for it there's a need to foster empathy but as far as me i don't know personally i think i'm a i don't know i'm a maybe a better person than i was eight ten years ago i don't know just because i've i've met more people and heard more stories and probably a better father maybe my wife might argue that <laughs> I'm, I'm not a better husband but <laughs> but i think i am i think i'm more attuned to the to the human condition which growing up in england claire you can testify we were told you know shut up and don't be you know seen and not heard and and we bottled everything up and I, i'm just a more open person now yeah so. what, what's a feeling what's an emotion i don't think i yeah, still know right. how to label them <laughs> it's funny i'm gonna tell you i'll tell you quick so my father came over he still lives in england he came over and about two three years ago he did one of our story exchanges right and for those of people that don't know we we bring people into a space you have to tell a story from your life and then to a partner that you've never met and then you both come back into a space and you have to retell each other's story in the first person so it's a it's an incredibly visceral experience and blah 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 right so my my dad went into another room (laughs) and he's hardcore english right he's in his he's he's almost 70 now and on the way home, I said, well, dad, how did, how did that go? You know, like, what was that? Doing? He's like, well, he's like, I don't know where you get all this from. And I'm like, what? Get what, dad? And he's like, I don't know, this whole feeling thing. <laughs> whole emotions thing. So he was rocked by it. And, but I knew that, I knew what he was trying to say. I just think even my dad hasn't had an opportunity to just sit with somebody he doesn't know and tell his own story, right? Or yeah. some aspect of his own life. And that is transformative. So I think the fact that I get to do that on a weekly 
basis has made me a more open and better and more understanding person. But you might have to ask my wife and kids about that. <laughs> they might have a different version. I won't ask for evidence, don't worry. All right, cool. uh, thinking about, you know, uh, you say your average week, what does your average week look like pre-pandemic? Yeah, pre-pandemic or because right now it's about 10 hours a day in front of a computer. But yeah, the, um, no. pre-pandemic. No, it was... You know, I would spend a couple of days working in one place, actually in New Haven. I, that's where I met Glenn, who's, you know, conscious capitalism. And I met him working in a shared workspace, co-working sort of space. And two days a week, I'd be pretty stationary and I'd just be on the computer sort of building programs and liaising with teachers. And then a couple of days a week, I'd be out training people to facilitate story exchanges because it takes a little bit of um, some training to do that, to hold that sort of emotional space. You have to be a good facilitator. So I would train people. And then other times I'd be sort of flying all over the world to help bring it to communities and schools that really needed it. Um, So I get to work in all sorts of places that I've never had the opportunity to visit before. And even even zip codes next door, right? Think about New Haven or in Connecticut or wherever. Like, I mean, you could could have the same zip code, but it could be a vastly different sort of environment, right? Goodness me, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. Just working in bunches of schools, I would go in and work with administrators, work with teams of people to train them up um, so that they could do the work. Sounds like great fun to me. I've got to be honest, it sounds really good fun. So tell me, Lee, when you're not focused on your work, what do you do to relax? TV, sports, you name it. What floats your boat? Definitely sports. You know, I'm a big Tottenham fan, as you mentioned earlier. So the game... game My sympathies to you. (laughs) A lot of swear words, a lot of good British swear words that come out of my living room. <laughs> walking by, they might not like them, but that's that's real. <laughs> um, the usual. I I love hanging out with family, with with friends. You know, we try and a good beer. I'm a I'm a beer snob. When I first came in, when I was 18, there was only like five beers, and none of them were what they would call artisanal beers. Right? It was like Budweiser, and so I was a bit freaked out by that. Um, <laughs> thank God, there's a lot of breweries open now. So I, loads. I, yeah, I visit a few of those and listen to really good podcasts you know i try to constantly stay up on on contemporary issues that that interest me i really like krista tippett's on being podcast there's a lot of good ones out there right now so but yeah i mean that's it if you could have dinner with any figure in history who would it be and why and what questions might you ask well i just think there's two actually right now that that come to mind i haven't really you know, this is actually pretty unscripted, but the one of them would be James Joyce, the Irish writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds really pretentious, maybe to a lot of people. They're like, oh God, he's going to talk about Ulysses or whatever. And I'm not. <laughs> I, actually don't get, I actually don't get that book. I've read it and I don't get it. And I'm like, it just makes me want to throw it at the wall. But the, um, <laughs> but what I English do English like, teacher, I love it. Yeah, I know. There's an English teacher who just wants to rip a book to pieces. I just think when he wrote Dubliners and stuff, he was exiled. He sort of had to self-exile because he was considered a sort of traitor when he wrote Dubliners. And to me, it's actually a love song to a country that he thought was deeply paralyzed and in need of uh, rebirth and help and what in whatever way he saw that I don't want to bore you with all that but he held a mirror up to right to a community or a country that that was that he thought was broken and he got you know really chastised for that and sort of self-exiled had to live in Paris people hated him and I don't think the Dubliners at the time especially but the country really appreciated him what he was trying to do. I think to, to criticize a country like that, you have to be in love with a country too and see its potential. So he's one guy that I would like to sit and 
chat with and be like, yo, you know, <laughs> what was that like? You know, anyway, <laughs> he's, a, he's a complex guy. And I actually asked him about the current situation, right, in, yeah. in the US and the globe. Like, I would like to get his perspective on all this division that's happening right now and how he would tackle that. But the, um, and the other person is more recent, actually. I've been listening. I listened to, to Ruby Sales. She's an African-American woman. She's probably in her 80s now, I'm guessing. And she is, was a sort of former civil rights leader. And I just listened to her on Being podcast with Krista Tippett. And it really shook me. It really moved me, her generosity in that and her life's work and what they were asking her about the contemporary moment and and what's happening and she she just had this real openness like you know obama was essential but also trump is essential you know and she just brought it into light like that, that these are essential people that are bringing these conversations to light now and we need to have these tough conversations and there was just something so beautiful in her rhetoric and one of the questions that changed her life was when she was a kid she just remembered asking somebody where does it hurt right that was a simple question where does it hurt and and she said she got this diatribe of her from this this individual was telling her this whole story of her life she said and she just lives by that question because yeah that's what she wants to ask people you have to get to the source of the pain because people don't behave in ways that are just you know i mean maybe there's anomalies but you don't just become that way you don't just become away right it's taught a lot of the time and so i don't know those two people ruby sales james joyce love them yeah be a nice old dinner party so tell me a little bit about your plans both personally and professionally what have you got on the horizon uh next five ten years what have you got in mind well i mean the next five years hopefully we can get our program into every school i mean <laughs> we have a new, new a new guy gotham who's working for us he's a new coo and he's like and we asked him that question he's like well i just want to get in every school in the world Good like, boy. Oh, okay, there you go. Aim high. So aim high. So I, I want to do that too. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm a little more practical. Okay, with nine people, we can do that. We can try. So, but that's what I want. That is my aspiration because to me, stories are. There was a, a great artist I worked with in Minneapolis. Afra Mansour, her name is. She's, um, I believe, she's a Somalian sort of immigrant. And and after a story exchange, one of our story exchanges, she said that the distance between two people is a story, mm-hmm. and that was it. And she's right. And that is why I think we need to have kids and teachers and peers and you name it, custodians, administrators. I don't care where you're from or, or what job you have. You should be sharing your stories with each other because it's much harder to sort of dismiss an individual right when you hear their story their personal mm-hmm. story you don't see him as a as um a caricature anymore or whatever an ideology whatever it is that we do right mm-hmm. so i think story is really important to narrative to get people to share them in school so yeah that's my aspiration next five ten years get more people to share and um i don't know my own personal ones not have a heart attack while trying to do that i don't know, <laughs> you know? aim so, high aim high aim high yeah just stay alive long enough to see it happen get you can't stuff. afford to get ill in this country remember so uh, no, do not right. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know that's my yeah and hopefully you know just just get people excited about the potential of everyone right i just we just fall into these singular narratives they're too they're too problematic for me like there's you have to get people, you have to collapse the distance between people in order for people to find similarities and community. That's what you got to do. And the more we can do that, the better shape 
the world will be in. And it ain't easy to do because don't get me wrong, it's not like you can just throw people in a room. I'm not saying that. And you have to be very careful around, you know, creating a safe and a brave space to do that. But I think if we can do it, then we can certainly get people to walk towards each other. You know? Absolutely. Look for the similarities and not the differences. How can people find out more about you, Narrative 4? Is there a website, social media, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, we're on all, all the platforms, you know, Insta, Snapchat, you know, you name it. We're on Facebook. I know that's for the older folks these days. But Shh, the, don't yeah. say that. I know. Somebody said I that to know. me the other day. Oh, it's, no, it's too old-fashioned. Like, oh, oh, please. Word. I'm getting Kids old. like, what is that? They don't even know what it is. The, um, <laughs> so we're on all that. So narrative, the number four.com, right? That's our yep. website. And, you know, that has all our current offerings. And I would encourage people to to go online. We have a live events page where people can join all these virtual events right now. Um, story exchanges to experience one yourself. See see what the magic and the method is all about. And we're also launching what we're calling a summit of impact, which is going to be released in about a week. We're re- releasing our event schedule, and there's going to be a lot of headline events with artists, authors, students, for and and different events for different audiences. So keep an eye out for that. It's all pretty exciting. Sounds like lots going on. I'm definitely going to check that out myself. So new website going live the week commencing the eighth. That's narrative four, as in the number four dot com. Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for your time i know you've got to go now because uh, the foot is about to uh, kick off well only eight minutes away so am i allowed to crack a beer yes we're allowed one o'clock right it's still that's about six o'clock in england so i think what, we're good exactly i always go by the same rules time yeah. zones god bless time zones uh, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to meet you i i sincerely hope that spurs have a, a positive season next season yeah i hope so too that's wishful thinking <laughs> right there well, claire thanks it was a great meeting you too and i was lovely chatting with you and thanks for chatting earlier as well thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of the curious capitalist For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.